industry is still in significant trouble. There are 900 plus air carriers globally operating. It'll be closer to 600 probably within the next two or three years. Welcome to the Velocity Podcast. In this episode, Jerome Bouchard and Ken Asho will have a discussion around how it may take up to five years for the aerospace industry to recover from COVID-19. Hello and welcome to the Velocity Podcast. I'm Jerome Bouchard, a partner at Oliver Wyman, and I'm joined today by Ken Asso, also a partner at Oliver Wyman. How are you, Ken? Doing very well. I'm excited to have a discussion with you today. And I'm excited as well to compare our European and American point of view on the recovery of aerospace industry. Yeah, with COVID-19, just turning most industries upside down, but certainly within that, the industry that you and I follow most, the airspace industry, it's been very unprecedented. The, the amount of change, the amount of disruption, frankly, something that's going to take many, many years to work out. Yeah, certainly. I mean, maybe up to five, I believe. But can you remember when January we were still talking about ramping up and delivering aircraft by hundreds. That seems so far away to me now. Absolutely. I remember getting excited about you know, the next wave of technological boom, things like all-electric aircraft advances and single seat and unmanned eventually. All those new technologies to me, they feel further away as we're just simply trying to get airplanes full of passengers, as we're trying to get past the 10, 15, 20, now 25% load factors compared to a year ago. No, it's indeed an unprecedented shock, and you're completely right. We have seen now the situation getting slightly better by the day or by the week, but in April we had a very low point at maybe 85, 90% of the commercial capacity that was actually down. And this is a once in a lifetime, hopefully, event. Yeah. In the past, when we've seen 9-11, when we've seen SARS, MERS, we had economic tailwinds and we had certain factors, growth factors, like the China growth. We had the growth of European LCCs uh, to help to buttress the, you know, the order books. We just don't have that now in 2020. No, the crisis is unfortunately here to last. I think it will also modify deeply the way you and I and our peers are traveling. The traveler sentiment will be also deeply affected. It is clear that the time of taking a long-haul vacation may seem a bit further away what it was even three months before and that the domestic flight will definitely restart first, maybe with a glimpse of restart this summer, but nothing definitely before summer 2021 in my view. That's right. Just to recap some of the analysis that we had been pulling together, we're seeing now that air traffic has risen slightly from those low points in late March and in April, but still is really generally at a standstill. The industry is still in significant trouble. 900 plus air carriers globally operating, it'll be closer to 600 probably within the next two or three years because of the need for consolidations and because of closures due to the lack of demand. We started out the year with around 28,000 aircraft in service at the beginning of the year. And the in-service fleet is only about 12,700, 12,800 aircraft up from the seven, 8,000 aircraft at the trough, but still nowhere near you know, where we have been in the 
we typically see between five and seven, eight hundred airplanes being retired annually. We've been, been seeing a little less because of the low price of fuel and because of steady growth in air traffic across the world. But we're anticipating that there's about 2,600 airplanes that will be retired over the next 12 months. And so typically candidates that have been around 25, 26, 30 years old, and now that's really being pulled forward with much younger airplanes, including 20-year-old airplanes, and for some fleets, 10 years and even less than 10-year-old airplanes. It's an extraordinary amount of inventory piling up. And so while we've seen contractions before, right, in the industry, and there has been certain cycles, this particular pandemic that's going to trigger massive cutbacks in capacity, massive changes in terms of all levels of the supply chain. Absolutely. And I think the first consequence of uh, this extending parking of aircraft is the airline will not place any new order for the next couple of years. And even talking about the production of aircraft, we are witnessing a real drop in demand and a massive number of orders that are actually deferred or even cancelled from Airbus and Boeing order book. For 2020 only, we are expecting a 50% decrease more or less on the aircraft production, leading back to something like 1,000 commercial aircraft to be delivered in 2020. Overall, we know that this will stay over the next couple of years. Of course, there will be a rebound in 2021 and 2022, but the manufacturing of aircraft all around the world will be significantly depressed. And even more significantly for the white bodies, all the long-range aircraft that will stay on the ground longer because the long-haul demand will stay lower than the short-haul, at least for the next couple of years. And we all know as well that there is a 737 MAX issue that already impacted negatively the aircraft deliveries in 2019. This issue today is not completely unsolved. We're still expecting a major certification milestone, hopefully, over the summer of 2020. We know that Boeing restarted production at a very low rate for this aircraft, but the overall future of the 406 aircraft that are parked on the ground in Seattle is still blurred at the moment. But maybe you know more about that, you can. Yeah, certainly such an issue, particularly for Boeing and Boeing's supply chain, because they've been dealing with this since March of 2019. So it's now well past one year relative to Boeing and Boeing's supply chain. The 406 undelivered airplanes, well over 400 delivered airplanes that are still grounded. It's quite a challenge for the Boeing supply chain that has all this inventory. I'm reminded in the news over the last couple of weeks as well that Boeing, who already forecasted a low rate of production, not a specific number, but a low rate of production for 2020 for the MAX, just communicated with Spirit to hold back starting about 20 ship sets in 2020 worth of uh, 737 MAX aircraft. And so a significant pullback from what was originally about 125 ship sets estimated for 2020. And so this is significant 
and this changes and just frankly the level of volatility up and down the Boeing supply chain in addition to all the rest of their space is uh, it's going to be very hard as really motivations from OEM into tier ones ripple into tier two and tier three manufacturers different forecasts volatility of forecasts as they change this just wreaks havoc in terms of production planners determining how much inventory to buy, especially with liquidity at such a risk. And maybe a way to preserve the supply chain in these very difficult times is to produce what we call white tails. White tails are non-allocated aircraft, non-allocated to some airlines. They are aircraft that Boeing or Airbus make the decision to manufacture in order to actually park them at the end of the final assembly line so that they can later on be delivered at an airline when the demand comes back. This phenomenon is quite exceptional in the industry. So far, the aerospace industry globally has been only obsessed by the supply side, so how many aircraft they could produce in a year. Uh, Now they have to face this demand shock and, of course, take a look at the demand profile. And the gap between what the demand can take and what the industrial system, including the supply chain, may absorb is generating those white tail phenomena. We know that this will not be lasting beyond 2021 because this is a huge burden on the cash for the aerospace manufacturer, but it's also necessary if you want to preserve both capacity of your industrial system to ramp up again quickly in 2022 and your supply chain as well. Yeah, I'm reminded, Jerome, of the webinar that Oliver Wyman did around in aviation and aerospace now, maybe six weeks ago, and we asked the 800 attendees of that webinar, are whitetails good or bad? obviously for producers, you can't just slow down or you can't stop immediately. And so the production of whitetail aircraft is sometimes necessary just to keep a low rate of production or to smooth out gradual decreases in a time of decline. But frankly, this wreaks havoc as well to the aircraft. It wreaks havoc potentially on the asset values and the residual values of existing airplanes. It's very, very difficult And remember, most of our audience didn't think that whitetails should be produced because of the impact on the the supply chain, but it will be a feature over the next year, maybe even two years as the supply chain and as OEMs try to recover. There's all kinds of other very interesting side topics as well and talked as well about the Airbus product line as being significantly in advantage now, given the situation. Jerome, do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I'm glad you say that, Ken, because I believe Airbus entered this COVID crisis in the best possible state, and we'll see later what it will be for Boeing. But for Airbus as such, Airbus has a huge narrow-body fleet in service and has also some of the best products in that range. I'm thinking, obviously, about the new family, And if we look a little bit ahead, I'm thinking as well about the 321 new XLR, which seems to be a very versatile and interesting aircraft platform for many airlines, as it can operate at the boundary between medium and long haul. So Airbus entered this COVID crisis 
with a strong backlog and with some, I would say, decent industrial shape, we know that this exposure to the wide body market of Airbus has been limited than Boeing anyway, and that the 350s is, I would say, fierce competitor on this market, and also it has to meet his own challenge in terms of maturity and ramping up. It's still a very reliable aircraft to perform efficiently long all remaining missions. But what about Boeing? How would you qualify the state of Boeing at the start of this crisis, Ken? I think it's very challenging with the MAX right now. Based upon the context many years ago, the MAX felt like the right aircraft to put new engines on it, make the MAX, the NEO, fundamentally more efficient. But I think it's clear now the XLR and the narrowbody portfolio of Airbus is just a superior. Right now, Airbus has 6,000 airplanes in its narrowbody order book, and Boeing just has over 3,000. So there's a really significant medium to long-term implications there. At the same production rates, Boeing's going to run out of airplanes to produce in half the time, or if Boeing chooses to produce at a lower rate than Airbus, the cost will be higher for that airplane. And given that gap, we just don't see how that gap in terms of the order book, especially in a time like now post-COVID, can be narrowed. And then the 321 XLR is already a more efficient aircraft. I think on the wide body side, Boeing portfolio is very strong. The 787 is a very good airplane. It's It's even getting orders, right, during a time like this. It's a very good airplane for what we're going to be facing coming out of the downturn. But relative to narrowbody, really now is the time that Boeing should be launching new narrowbody, 180, 220 kind of passengers. But the problem, of course, is that it's very hard to fund a new airplane. Boeing trying to get smaller or more efficient brand new airplane campaign is a very expensive proposition, requires a lot of investment by your partners, including your engine partners. And this is a time where the likes of the engine manufacturers, the GEs, Pratt's and Rolls, they don't have the cash to invest as well. And so while there may be strong interest, I think Boeing is kind of stuck with the max right now. Talking about financing a new aircraft, I also believe that Boeing will try to get out of the crisis by renovating its products and maybe even launching a completely disruptive program. Do you think there can be also disruptive ideas for the financing, maybe outside of the normal aerospace supply chain, Ken? The interesting topic, and of course, we've been seeing some differences across the North American and in a European region relative to financing. In Europe, we've been seeing governments step in to support air carriers, to support the aerospace manufacturing base. In the U.S., the government did step in with CARES funding to support the industry, but very few manufacturers have stepped up to take that funding. They've more leaned towards sources of private funding And so that's been an interesting difference so far with the caveat that it's really early days right now. We're very early, and this is going to be a multiple-year recovery. But we've also seen evidence that private equity is readying to make investments and to support companies and to finance companies to support combinations as well. 
it will be interesting to see if private equity does step up in a significant way. What are the opportunities there? And will the returns be fast enough to be able to support private equity investment timelines? And that's a very interesting comment you just made, Kent. Let me talk a little bit about the French aerospace plan to support the industry. Because in this plan, there is 1 billion euro that will be put on the market in the form of a private equity fund directly to support the suppliers of the aerospace industry. And the mix uh, to build that fund is quite interesting and quite innovative, at least from a European perspective, because 200 million will come from the four uh, big French aerospace companies, so that's Airbus, Thales, uh, that's Safran and Dassault. Another 200 million will come directly from the French government, so that's, I would say, uh, public money. And the other 100 million will come through a private equity fund, and all of that will be doubled to reach the 1 billion bar, but the mix in between the private aerospace actors, so the four leaders, the French government and a private equity fund with a clear intent to support the aerospace supplier makes, I think, a one-off progress toward a different way of financing our aerospace and all the R&D that will be required in the years to come. That's very interesting. What is your opinion, Jerome? Do you think that with these sources of funding, that aerospace production will be able to be preserved through this downturn? Or do you think there will be some exits that come through this process? There will be, unfortunately, some exits with this process. I think the idea is to minimize that number. It's also important to remind that this 1 billion euro is directed towards equity. So that's not, you know, loans or, say, short-term patches on difficult financial situation. This is a fund that is here to stay and which will hopefully drive a sustainable result. So it's a long-term perspective and it's also a commitment from every party that aerospace is an important industrial lever and that maybe in the long term industrial relocations will take place in Europe and in France as much as possible to safeguard our skill, competence, and maybe to become even more independent from some global suppliers that might have failed in between. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. From the standpoint of what the industry will need to do to survive, there's obviously some very important decisions, but painful decisions towards making sure that they are able to navigate successfully through this downturn. Well, Jerome, I think that may be all the time that we have for today, but it would be great to continue the conversation and delve deeper into the topic. Yes, on this episode, we will have a conversation around new business model and the implication on the MRO aftermarket. The Velocity Podcast is brought to you by management consulting firm Oliver Wyman. We hope you have enjoyed the show. In the next episode, we will be joined again by Ken and Jerome, and they continue the discussion around aerospace's recovery from COVID-19. We invite you to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next episode goes live.